dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight All right, well, do you think we remember how to do this? Been so long, people are gonna be like, Who are these people? <laughs> what? Who are a we? A podcast on Meryl Streep, <laughs> even though we have you know 50 some episodes out there, it's been a while. I know <laughs> it has been such a long time. Uh, people are gonna be like, Are you alive? Yeah, hey everybody, welcome back to a long awaited new episode of Meryl Streep and the movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? You know what? I am alive. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone may have been concerned for our well-being. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm putting <laughs> putting too much importance on our... There are a few people out there, I'm sure, who are wondering where we've been. Exactly. Well, as I told you, I think we should call this our season three premiere. And that makes it seem yes. as though we intended to take a break, like we were going on hiatus Fair. and it was part of the plan all of the time, which was not exactly true, but that's okay. Because we did this one other time where we were gone for a really long time and then came back and called it season two. So now it's season three. I love it. It was not part of the plan. <laughs> you know, but... it, it was a summer vacation, not really quite in summer. Right. The end of summer. You know, it works. It works. I like it. Right. Welcome to the season three premiere. And we've got the most expected choice, of course, which is Prime that we're going to be talking about. Because you start <laughs> season three with a bang. A total bang, right? <laughs> it's just one of her peak, peak, peak moments. I guess we're giving a we're giving a little preview. But before we get there, I'm you yeah. know we've been catching up for a while. Although we've also been yeah. in touch throughout the hiatus, of course, too. But. Um, what have you seen lately? I know that's a really tough question because it's been months. I listened to our last I, I listened to our last episode and we were literally talking about which which movies were going to get nominated for Oscars. <laughs> so it's been a minute since Oh, and we're there now. We're there. We're in we're in peak Oscar season. Exactly. We could do it again on consecutive yeah, I episodes. Um I saw Dear Evan Hansen. Um I saw Power of the Dog, um, which is not out yet. It's going to be out on Netflix. I saw a screening. Um, and then uh, Dune. Those are like the three that come to mind. I would love to hear your thoughts on all three of those. I'm really curious all about three. all of them. Um, dear, <laughs> dear Evan Hansen. Um, dear Evan Hansen, if you've read any reviews, they are all correct. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's not good. Uh, I do think everyone is being sort of outrageously harsh on it. Ben Platt uh, looks way too old for the ro- role. It's not like Hollywood hasn't done that before, but right. they decided to put this like curly mop top on him that makes him look very strange. And and beyond that, the subject. This was a problem on. The, for those who don't know, Dear Evan Hansen is a Broadway show that was quite popular. The music was written by Casey and Paul, who did the music to Greatest Showman. Um, they're great songwriters. They're really great at like um, 
they're just really great at tugging your emotional heartstrings and like getting you invested in like a really catchy pop song, right? Like they've got that kind of vibe going. And Dear Evan Hansen is wildly popular on Broadway, but but a lot of people have complained from day one about sort of how simplistic it approaches mental health and is not very realistic about it. And that the lead character, for those of you who don't know, like he's a young man with some mental health issues. He's bullied at school. One of the kids who bullies him um, ends up committing suicide and the... Um, the, the young man who committed suicide, his parents find a note and mistakenly believe that Evan was good friends with him rather than somebody he bullied. And he doesn't correct them and creates this entire narrative for the parents that they were best friends and he sort of insinuates himself into their family and like creates an online movement about, you know, mental health awareness and all based on this lie and um, sort of the fallout from that. And, you know, (sighs) Ben Platt has a really stunning singing voice, but the movie seems even more problematic than the Broadway stage because you just can't. You just can't oversimplify things in a movie like that. Um, the the other performances in it, Julianne Moore is amazing. Amy Adams is great. Um, basically, all of the supporting cast are around Ben Platt is good. That's been largely ignored with the with the sort of pushback and criticism. Right. But yeah, I mean. If you're asking me if I recommend people see it, no. No, I don't. <laughs> I, it, it's just, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So that's Dear Evan Hansen. Power of the Dog is mind-blowingly good. Is it? I've been waiting on that one. I was very excited about it because Jane, um, Jane Campion is a favorite of mine. I adore the piano. I loved Top of the Lake. I loved Bright Star. Um, she has not made a feature film since Bright Star, which it's been a minute. Yep. Is that like the like early two thousands, maybe somewhere in there? It's been a while. Yeah. Um, it it's just magnificent. It's a masterpiece. That's I highly awesome. recommend it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because you just you have to go into it with a blank slate. I'm looking forward to it. Just one question: Is Kirsten Dunst yeah. Kirsten Dunst is one of the perceived front runners for an Oscar, mostly because they're campaigning her in supporting actress instead of lead. So she basically at this point her her number one competition is Anne Dowd. Uh, I forget what her film is called. She's a great actress as well. How do you feel about that? Is it an Oscar worthy performance? I think um, I think that best supporting is the category she should be in because of the way the role is in the film where it's situated. I don't think that that's a mistake. Um, and she is stunning. She is so good. She's always good. She's really been overlooked for a long time. She really is. I did. I got to. I got. I went to a screening of it and then got to see a Q and A with with her and Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the young actor who plays her son in the film, mm-hmm. who's the other lead, um, he's stunning too. Um, and, and the Q&A was fantastic. She 
like I've always really liked her um and we are the same age so I've like tracked her career right yeah we grew up Um, with her yeah and um she she was just so great in the Q&I. Like, she's just, like, a no-bullshit yep. kind of yep. kind of woman. And just a really straight shooter. And, like, but they were all great in the Q&A. Benedict Cumberbatch is, like, your, act, your actor's actor from Britain. And so, you know, he would wax poetic <laughs> about, about the role and... Um, um, and, and very articulate and, and really like great to listen to. <laughs> she was just so beautifully direct. Yeah. I really hope she takes it. Um, it will be well earned. Awesome. Yeah. I think Jane Campion yeah. is actually kind of perceived as the front runner for best director as well, even though I don't think they've, God, I hope so. I don't think they've perceived the film to be the front runner. I think they're, pers- uh, you know, I think at this point, a lot of this stuff has not been seen yet. So like House of Gucci and some of these other ones that are coming out that are, um, most of them, I would say, just nobody has seen yet. So it's hard to really know what's a front runner at this point. But of course, there's they're already talking about that sort of thing. But I, I've yeah. seen other kind of different things about the film. Because I, I don't think, again, I don't want to, if, if you have that stance of like people shouldn't know too much going in, sometimes there are movies like that. But I think with her movies in the past, and from what I've read about this particular one, um, it's maybe not for everybody. Like not everybody's going to get it type of film. That's probably true. It's also very, and this is true for other work too, it's, it's a very quiet film. Right. Right. Um, it's a it's a slow burn. The the payoff is just spectacular. <laughs> so good. It's so good, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not your typical. I mean, it's even quieter than the piano. Mm. Um, you know, because the piano had sort of this epicness to it um, with the with the traveling to to New Zealand and you know that piano on the beach and the landscape is just very this is much quieter hmm. um, but also I should say he was not at the Q&A but his performance is also brilliant Jesse Clemens right. oh, so good who's her real life husband I believe right yes yes and he plays I can give you like basic premise he and Benedict Cumberbatch are brothers and they are very successful cattlemen in 1920s Montana and they are sort of career bachelors. And Benedict Cumberbatch's character is just, he's um, just really like rough, but has like bought into that like one with nature mentality and is very, he's just mean. And um, Jesse Plemons is his brother and he takes a fancy to a local widow who is Kirsten Dunst, um, whose son is quite um, effeminate. And Jesse Plemons ends up marrying her and bringing her home with the son. And that the son ends up being the target of sort of Benedict Cumberbatch's wrath. That's all I will tell you. Um, and that's out there for the general public. Um, and that may or may not entice you to go see it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. 
Um, and then the last movie I saw was Dune. You know, came out on HBO Max simultaneously, theatrical release. I went ahead and watched it at home because I was really excited about it. I wished I had seen it in a theater because it was pretty epic. And but it's also a very quiet film, and um, there's enough like lore there from the books. Um, and I don't, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the previous iterations of Dune. Mm-hmm. I've never read the books. I I know that Hollywood has struggled to adapt it, and so I was really curious to see this version. Um, I know the reviews have been mixed. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why it got the criticism it did, but because I had no history with the book, or previous adaptations, I came in with zero expectations. So I, I watched it with like an entirely blank slate and I loved it. Awesome. I've watched it twice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and, and not everybody feels that way. Although I feel like I've read mostly good things about it, like from, from peers, not necessarily from critics. I think critics, it's always hard. That's the sort of movie that critics don't always give, it, like a lot of love to it seems to me those big epics. Yeah, it seems to be like the main criticism, and that is that it's quite drab and dull and slow, and how like they've managed to turn this sort of like amazing, like epic intergalactic world into something like so tiny and boring. Hmm. That wasn't my read on it at all, um, but I also. I, I could watch Timothy Chalamet watch paint dry. I find him so compelling. I think he is a brilliant actor and such a movie star. And, and Zendaya, same thing. Like yeah. I, I just find them so, so good. And I thought um, uh, Denise Villanueva's direction was phenomenal. Really, everything. I think I liked what I liked about it, which is actually what's getting it criticism, is that it's this, like, big, big world, mm-hmm. but the special effects and the gadgets and the spaceships and the cities and those things don't overwhelm the movie. Hmm. They're presented as if it's just everyday life for these people, and so they're there, and it creates the world really convincingly, but it's not why I went to see the movie. Right. And it's it's got it's really character and story driven, which I love, and like the little details of like sand piled up in the corners of the like the, the like parapets on the buildings and things like that. It, I mean, it goes to that level of detail. Um. So it, it wasn't. It really wasn't about the spectacle. Huh, as okay. much as it was just creating the world, um, which I loved about it, but it's been criticized for that. So, Interesting. yeah, hmm. yeah. What have you been watching? It's been. I mean, it's been so long. I'm sure you came across this too. It's like, where do you start when it's been months? I know. Um, I've only recently. Recently, yeah. I've I've been going. I've only seen one movie in the theater, and that was a couple months ago too. My nephew wanted to see the new Fast and Furious movie, so we went to see that. Which was, have you seen that? No. No. I haven't. <clears throat> they drive a 1970s Chevy Impala into outer space, and everything is like, yeah, this is normal. Like, it's just so bonkers. <laughs> so bonkers. 
so good. Charlize Theron in that movie is my uh, is my hair hero. I've used the picture of her hair many a time to go to my hairdresser and be like, "Do this." Well, I <laughs> if there is one comment that I have, that movie needs more Charlize because it. And you know the other funny thing about that is she's in a box literally in a box in the movie she's in this glass box and it's like did she just say yes to this but only if covid conditions were really really specific it's so strange (laughs) although it's so weird i'm guessing there's some sort of plot point i did see i i i've seen like parts of some of those but i really just haven't seen any of those really except for the Hobbs and Shaw I also brought my nephew to but anyway so movies in the theater I loved that one Hobbs and Shaw I loved Hobbs and Shaw I thought it was super fun I thought that was fun too yeah um I am getting my my booster my COVID booster on Tuesday and so I was thinking um, I will probably be a little worn down that may be a good day to go to see I actually have already checked showing times to see what's playing um, and Spencer's playing, which I'm excited to see Spencer. Dune is playing. So excited. I have HBO Max too, so I could just watch it here. But, you know, like you say, kind of seeing it on a big screen sounds appealing. Last night in Soho, I'm interested in that. There's like three or four out right wow. now that I'm interested in yeah. seeing. So I may just uh, take my COVID booster and go to the theater and, uh, you know, sit there for a while and let the let the antibodies work so i really haven't been watching very many movies or at least anything of note i've i've gone back to tv i re i binged the entirety of weeds since we chatted have you have you watched weeds in the last 10 years i have not i watched the first season not not when it came out but somewhere around there and i i never did go back to it not because i didn't like it i just sort of forgot it's a classic this television show is great and then it's good and then it's why are they still going kind of tv show you know yeah it really by the end just peters out and everybody is so good in it it's like it just would have been so much better for everybody involved if they stopped it a year and a half sooner than they did but i i binged the entirety of the sopranos again um in kind of prep for the for the film um and that is just i mean it's a little different than i remembered it but you know it's just amazing i'm kind of working my way again through dexter now since dexter is coming back um so it's been a lot of tv for me i feel like tv is you know kind of comforting in these totally i i've revisited a lot of shows too i i watch fleabag on repeat um um, you know what I just started last night, actually, is Miracle Workers with Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's super charming. Um, I'm really loving that. I'm revisiting Barry on HBO. I love um, that show. Oh, so good. And then you know what I did watch that I would recommend to everybody if you... Uh, I guess you could call it horror. Did you watch Midnight Mass on Netflix? I've heard of this, but I haven't watched it yet, no. I, again, kind of like kind of like Dune, I went in completely blind. Um, I had seen like a couple headlines about it. I have not watched... Um, uh, Flanagan also did uh, like The Haunting right, the of Hill House. Right. And Bly Manor on Netflix. I didn't watch either of those. I didn't know he had done those as well as this. So I really went in blind. And I really loved it. Cool. Um, yeah. 
Uh, Hamish Linklater's in it. He's great. <laughs> Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights is in it. He's great. Um, I don't know his real name. I just call him Saracen. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's um, uh, Henry Thomas from E.T., isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All grown up. Yeah, he's also in, I think, Bly Manor. He may be in both. I'm not sure. I watched... But anyway, yeah, I'll highly recommend that. The other two that you're talking about, I can't even remember the titles, but Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. I watched, like, the first three of each of those and then kind of gave up. Not, again, not because I didn't like it. It just... There's so much content out there. It's got to grab you. And I'm really bad about watching two or three episodes and going, okay, I'll keep... I'll, I'll come back to that. And it just kind of peters out. I've done that with Game of Thrones about a dozen times. I've... Yeah, you're not missing anything. See, I actually, the other day, I noticed that, so probably two months ago, I started Game of Thrones for, like I said, the dozenth time, trying to get into it, and watched, I I got further this time, I got to like episode six or something, which is further than I've made it before, and um, I actually was like, kind of doing my part to like, really understand, I was going to the like, stories online to like, try to follow along, because it's just so like, without context, it's hard for me to follow, and um, I realized the other day, I was watching something else, and I was like, oh, I completely forgot that I was even watching this, and it had been two weeks since I had seen the last episode, I had completely forgotten I'd even started it again, which is not a good sign for me actually getting through this epic show that everybody loves. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I say don't bother, and I'm the one who, um, you know, basically watched it from the beginning. I've watched it more than once. Mm. I I followed it. I I had a lot of issues with content the way everybody else did as they came up in terms of the way they treated women. Right. And then when they when they jumped when the books no longer were there when they when they jumped off of the books as as you know foundation material and were sort of on their own they they really tanked it like Mm. they I, i i mean epically so and i i know the internet was really hard on them but it i i mean in terms of storytelling and like what happens in a writer I don't know if they were just exhausted they were they were filming feature they were basically doing feature films on a TV schedule and their crew was like you could just tell that there was like a rush to get it done and 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 such deep exhaustion that they just didn't even care how they did it right um Now, I say that there was obviously so much care put into the way they did it, but it wasn't, it just wasn't there with the story, and you will get to those final five episodes, and you will want to murder somebody because you have invested so much in this intricate storyline, and they, they have set up a world where you can all but guess where it's going to go. Like, nobody's there for a plot twist. Right. And they just don't do it. Mm. They don't do it, and they create an ending that that hasn't been earned. I mean, it is bizarre. It's bizarre. That's just the only way I can describe it. It's just totally bizarre how how they chose to end it. Well, hopefully, hopefully I'll get there because it's, 
it's taken a lot out of me to keep going. But I also want to point out that's because I can see it on my shelf over there. I was at my library and I have season one. I haven't started it, but based on your recommendation, I have season one of Riviera sitting over there too, which at some point I'll start. Oh, you know what? Riviera, just watch season one. (laughs) (laughs) And then stop. I continue. Yes, I continued. It really falls apart. Like, yeah, like that's why I, that's I didn't make a good transition, but that's why I was thinking of that because I remember you saying that about Riviera that you know it's good, it's great. Then second season is like good, okay, and then third season is like okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely quit watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I loved season one. I thought it was great. Well, I will. I will watch that one and then pretend they never made any more, and we'll see. <laughs> I love doing that. Well, let's transition as best we can into this film from 2005 called prime Meryl Streep, yes. Uma Thurman. Um, ben Younger is the director. Do you want to give us a synopsis for this one? Sure. Meryl Streep plays a therapist in New York. Uh, she's Jewish. She, which is relevant. Yep. She, um, she is Uma Thurman's therapist who is, she's a 37-year-old woman who's just gone through a divorce and kind of, you know, getting her bearings after this divorce has gone through. And uh, she meets this young man played by Brian Greenberg, right? Yep. That's not his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and they fall for each other. He's 23 years old, and it turns out he's Meryl Streep's son. Um, and it takes them a while to figure this out. It's sort of the it's where the comedy lies in this movie. And so it's sort of hijinks around her being Uma Thurman's Thurman's therapist, knowing that she's dating her son and sort of how it evolves from there. Yeah. And one of the, one of the super important things about it too, is basically it's not even, it's set up in a way that it's about the age difference between these two Uma Thurman plays Yes. Um, a, a woman, uh, Rafi, is supposed to be 37. Actually, Uma was younger than that, which was interesting to me. She was younger than that when they filmed. She was only like 34 or 35. Um, okay. And then Brian Greenberg was older than his character. He was, in real life, he was like 27 when they were filming, but playing a 23-year-old. So this is part of the problem for me, is this movie is a lot about this age difference that really doesn't seem like that big a deal, because in real life, they're eight years apart. Well, and because it doesn't read, physically, Brian Greenberg, uh, I mean, honestly, he could have been, like, if you look at him in this movie, he could have been anything from, like, 27, 28 to 35. Right. He has one of those faces. He looks quite mature. Like, and then same with her. It's like, well, she doesn't. She doesn't really look anywhere near middle age. Right. And um, thirty-seven really isn't that old. Right. But that's like that's indicative of Hollywood, right? right. That they had to cast somebody younger in as a thirty-seven-year-old, which isn't even that old. Right. <laughs> Like, and so, yeah, so there's a little bit missing. I think they probably did it on purpose to, to, because they thought it would be more palatable that way. Right. Right. But then you lose, I think you lose some of the story in there when you do that. Right. So there's kind of these two obstacles in this potential couple's way. One is that, this age difference of, 
um, 13 to 14 years. You know, yeah. her character is 37, his character is 23. Um, so that age difference of 14 years or so is one of them. And then the other is this, really it's an obstacle between Meryl's character, the mother's and slash therapist's character in Uma Thurman's, which is this faith thing because she is Jewish. Her, she wants her son to marry a Jewish person. Uh, uh, Uma Thurman's character is not Jewish. And so that is kind of one of those things. And it comes with all sorts of kind of interesting stuff around that as well. Um, I do want to point yeah. out, you probably know this, but this movie was originally, Sandra Bullock was was playing this role. And in fact, had even gone through rehearsals. She actually dropped out about two weeks before the, the actual filming began. She went through the whole rehearsal process and wanted some major um, script adjustments that the director, who is also the writer, refused to make. So she left the film very last minute, and Uma Thurman jumped on. Now, Sandra Bullock is actually six years older than Uma Thurman in real life, and so I think they just didn't adjust the age thing. Sandra Bullock actually would have been about the right age. She would have been about 37. Um, wow. So that's part of it, too. We I want to acknowledge that, too, that it's not really their fault, although they could have adjusted the numbers probably a little bit. But um, So Sandra Bullock is a little bit older. Like I said, she's six years older than Uma Thurman in real life. So that I think would have helped actually to have a little bit more of an age difference. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I think it would have. Yeah. Because their, their age, their age gap is like this thing that you have to theoretically Like you just have to remind yourself as they're discussing it because you don't really, you don't feel it through through the visuals you're receiving, right? Right. Like you have to keep reminding yourself that there's an age gap. Right, right. So before we even dive into it, because there's there's kind of a lot to say in this one, do you, re- yes. like, where did you, do you have memories of the first time you saw this? Did you see this in the theater, all of that? I don't have any recollection. I've definitely seen it before. I don't think I saw it in the theater. Okay. I can't, I can't remember if I rented it. I have no idea when I first saw it. I've definitely seen it. Okay. No recollection. You? I did see it in the theater, and um, I actually... It's funny because I when I saw it, I actually didn't really like it that much. And then I remember kind of thinking that about this movie, like, oh, that's that's one of my least favorite Meryl movies. And then I watched it again, maybe 10 years later, and really liked it. And was yeah. I was like the complete opposite, which happens sometimes in movies. You know, maybe it's just a mood thing. And so we were going to record this maybe a month or so ago and I watched it and I kind of landed somewhere in the middle. I was like, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's a nice little movie, but yeah. it's nothing amazing. And then I rewatched it again the other day and I kind of went back into, there's some problematic stuff in this movie. Um, yeah. Woo, isn't there? <laughs> so this movie came out when like we were in college when this movie came out. And I think 2005, it started that like, I don't know. It feels like there were a lot of these tropes and cliches, like the gay characters are all tropes and cliches and not real human yeah. beings. Um, there's some yeah. weird racial stuff going on in here too. Yes. There's... Which was entirely unnecessary. Like, it's it's just not even relevant. Right. It's like, it's like, it's like sprinkled in there for no good reason. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's also this kind of... I don't even know what to say about the best friend character who throws pies in women's faces. Jesus Christ. Excuse me, anybody <laughs> who's listening for me saying that. I like the fact that it's like 
like they joke about him being a sociopath, but it's meant to be funny. This friend, guys, this friend goes around knocking on the doors of women who refuse to sleep with him and throwing pies in their face, actually committing assault and battery. <laughs> it's so strange. And you're supposed to laugh. It's, ch- I mean. And, you know, the funny thing about it to me was like, yes, this is deeply problematic. And then what, but also it's that 2005, like if we watch anything from that era, we find stuff that's like, oh, that's not okay anymore. So I was sort of like, okay, not okay anymore. This is weird that this was okay in 2005. But the weirdest thing to me about it is that they address it in the movie. Uma Thurman's character calls him a sociopathic, like psycho. So they know enough to know that the behavior is not okay and that this is completely not acceptable, and yet they still make it part of this. I mean, it's so strange. Right, like the friend never, like Brian Greenberg's character never says, you're an asshole right. with throwing pies in women's faces. Right. Like he just like accepts it like a bro, and she is painted as being like overreactive that he's in her apartment right. and and calling him a sociopath. There, there, there's actually some really subtle and not so subtle gender politics going on in this film right. that are really rough. Right. That being one of them, this idea that like because she's older and has a more established life that he's she somehow whipped him and like he's at her beck and call. There's also their first date when he's talking about carp and she makes this very astute observation that the world war two generation is quite obsessed with food because there was such scarcity around it and carp was probably fairly cheap. And so this like, right. And he's like, what is this a history lesson? And she apologizes. And then they go on like, what is happening? Upon rewatch, I'm glad you pointed out that scene because upon rewatch, before he kind of made a joke about it, I remember thinking, this is so refreshing that like she's unapologetically the very intelligent one in this scene. Like she's passing on, like you said, it's very articulate, it's very wise and like she's passing on this knowledge. It is, I actually thought that had had they not kind of flipped it and turned it into this dumb joke, they may have actually made an interesting point in there and that may have been the most useful and like practical way to point out the age difference but instead they kind of went the other way with it and turned it into this like uh you know thing it's too bad it's too bad i will i will say there's plenty to complain about this movie and i could go on because that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg i will say that the ultimate message of the movie is quite lovely yeah that you know we meet people we have relationships with people we learn from them they're not always meant to last forever but they can still have value to you and mean something to you and that i think is a really it's a really beautiful message and what starts as sort of a hijinks movie and you really think it's going to be about meryl streep and her experience finding out about her son and her patient having this relationship she really does fall out of the picture towards the end. And it becomes about how these two people sort of resolve, resolve their relationship and move on. And, and it's, it's quite lovely. I will give it that. Yeah. No, I'm again. Yeah. We always, it's so much easier to point out the flaws in the movie than the things that are 
fantastic about yeah. it. I will say every single time that I've watched this movie, I find so you know we've we've referenced the fact that you know that Meryl's character, who is Uma Thurman's uh, therapist, realizes before anybody else that she's dating her son, and so she feels very conflicted about this. And even goes to her own therapist, who I loved that that actress, uh, Meryl's therapist. Oh, she was so good. Um, so good. But she's conflicted because she's in that position of like, do I keep treating this person who's dating my son? It feels like a conflict of interest. And um, so she stops at one point. She she tells her this is kind of late in the movie. I mean, it's after the hour mark for sure. She tells her it's my son that you're dating and kind of comes clean about the whole thing and then says we need to stop. You know, it's not appropriate for us to see each other anymore. So they stop seeing each other. But then when he brings her over to the house for a family dinner and Uma Thurman's character Rafi embraces her and she starts to cry and says, I missed you. I find that to be so moving and so real. It's, I mean, there are moments that completely work in this movie, too. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Really good moments like that. And all of all of the actors do a really great job of, right. like, I don't know. I saw an interview with Meryl Streep, and she said this, and I agree with her entirely. Like, they all feel familiar. Um, you may, may not be Jewish, you may not be from New York, you may not have had a relationship with an age gap, like, but, but there's something so familiar about the family dynamics and right. There's sort of some universal themes that the actors do a really beautiful job of, of highlighting and, and bringing to the forefront that, that makes it totally relatable for sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I was kind of I'm going to get into a, a second point that I'm curious to hear your your thoughts on by pointing out that this director slash writer, he has made three movies that he has written and directed that, you know, it's kind of he's his own Woody Allen kind of thing where he does both sides of it. Uh, the first one came out in 2000 and it's one of my favorite. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say one of my favorite movies, but I love this movie, which is Boiler Room with Giovanni Ribisi and Ben Affleck and Vin Diesel. So good. Do you, are you familiar with this movie? Yes, and so I saw it when it came out. I couldn't tell you a single plot point. I've never rewatched it. I, love I did it. know that Ben Younger, uh, the writer director, had done that film. I need to revisit it. So it's it's kind of about this the stock exchange and corruption and fraud and all sorts of you know it's it's not the heaviest movie. There's certainly some you know moments of levity in it, but it's a serious movie. Then this movie. Prime in 2005 and then not another movie until 2016 when he did a boxing movie called Bleed for This with Miles Teller and Aaron Eckhart which I have not seen oh yeah yeah um, I haven't either but I think it's a boxing movie so these kind of yeah. first of all you know in the 21 years since his movies come out he's only done three movies and you know some people work at a different pace I'm not putting that down that is what it is and there's a lot, as as we both know, everybody listening knows, movies can get stalled. To, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that can happen. But I sometimes wonder about movies like Prime. They're so light and fluffy and they're so, like, I don't know. Do you ever wonder how movies like this get made? How somebody decides to devote years of their life to this kind of story? And... 
yeah. the same time, acknowledging that like we need these stories. Not everything can be serious and intense. Like we need this lighthearted stuff too. But it's just really interesting to me that somebody would devote years of their life to this story about like this kind of age difference, which doesn't really matter that much. Like it just doesn't, you know? Yeah. I think it mattered more then. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're a little more open to that kind of stuff now. I think the only way it gets made is people like Meryl Streep. Right. Uh, because, you know, actors love, actors love to dig into a character, right? And you don't always get to do that in movies that are fast-paced or, you know, they just love, like, interrelational drama. They like to dig their teeth into it. And so, I mean, I do think that's the only way they get made is you get you get an actor like Meryl Streep reading the script and being like, I oh, guess I identify with this woman, I want to do this part. And then off it goes. Because otherwise, yeah, no, no. I mean, you could make it as like a small indie with, you know, no one would ever see it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do think these movies get made less now. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I, I, again, I'm glad this movie exists. It's an interesting one. I actually think Meryl's really good in this movie. Like, she has some, it, yeah. it's some really interesting work. I think Uma Thurman's, I think everybody in it is good. It's not that I don't want this movie to exist. It's, um, I don't know, I just can't imagine getting this excited about a project like this that I would want to invest years of my life, as the director and writer would. Not, not so much, I can understand Meryl right. and Uma Thurman and the actor's obligation here. Um, maybe it's semi-autobiographical right that is kind of what I was thinking is that it felt kind of like maybe he is that character Mm -hmm. you know who knows yeah it kind of feels that way yeah um this this one falls kind of at an interesting point in Meryl's career it's 2005 so it's before Devil Wears Prada and this kind of like huge resurgence that she has where again like that summer blockbuster thing she has for a while it's but she's also like kind of in the third act of her career at this point because it's after the hours in adaptation which kind of kicked things off for her again. It's after Angels in America. So she really is, you know, she's a huge, huge star again at this point. But Did she make this uh, around the same time as Hope Springs? Hope Springs is a little bit later. Hope Springs was 2009 or 10, I think. Here okay. I'm looking. Okay. Hope Springs was 2012. So hope oh, this is a whoa. full seven years okay. before that, yeah. Okay, gotcha. But it is cool. nice to see her kind of, you know, where this was, the ones that came right before this. Manchurian Candidate was right before this, and then right before that was Angels in America, and then right before that was The Hours and Adaptation. So this is her kind of going lighter mm. after some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> yeah, and then she does these kind of this trilogy here of pretty light um, stuff because Prime, and then after that's Prairie Home Companion, and then Devil Wears Prada. So it's kind of lighter again yeah. after that period. You know, it's gotcha. this trilogy of comedies of a different variety. <laughs> of a different variety. Um, yeah, I can't. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing her. Um, what's, what's the Adam McKay movie coming out called? I think it's called Don't Look Up. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing her in that. Me too. Have you watched the... hilarious in that wig. Have you watched the trailer? The teaser? Yes. Well, I watched a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to explain to her that the world's going to come to an end and they're all politicking him and he's very confused. 
I wa- I watched that 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 like teaser scene. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. I guess maybe it isn't a trailer. Yeah, 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 whatever it is. But yes, yeah, I'm excited to see that too. It. Uh, I'm still fascinated. I'm curious to see how much she basically seems to be sending up like right wing politics in the last you know the fake news era. Like a Donald Trumpy, yeah. Marjorie Taylor Green kind of you know vibe to her. She kind of even looks like Marjorie Taylor Green to tell you the truth. Um, so yeah, I'm yeah. I'm fascinated by that too. I yeah, it'll be that'll be a very different one. I'm excited about the Adam McKay thing too because I've loved his last few movies. I thought Vice was just incredible. I thought The Big Short was really great. So I'm excited that she's working with him too. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Well, uh... Um, we'll see. And also, it's been a second since she, I think the last new, like the last movie was the Soderbergh film, right? Yeah, Let Them All Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has. It has been a little bit, so it feels good. You know, we've become accustomed to a couple Meryl movies oh. a year. This is our one yeah. this year. I know, right? But. I was like, is she going to get nominated for an Oscar again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think they're expecting that she will for this one but who knows stranger things have happened so who knows yeah it depends on how big that part is you know yeah but um so for prime can i point out i i didn't make that many notes for this one but can i point out one other thing that just kind of bugged me about this movie and see if you're with me on this yes again i like this movie Ben Younger, if you listen, because we did reach out, or I reached out to the writer-director, Ben Younger, some time ago about doing an interview oh. with us, and his his representative was very kind to us, and I think, you know, kind of implied that he would be listening, and um, so if you're listening, I want you to know that, first of all, I loved Boiler Room so much, and uh, <laughs> I, I mostly liked this one. I think it's just, you know, I mean, we can look back... At, at these movies with another kind of lens some years later, 15 years later. Um, sure. Early on in the movie, in fact, I think it's the meet-cute scene between um, th- between the two. They're waiting in line to see a movie, and uh, Brian Greenberg's character says something kind of bland and generic, and their friend goes, oh, this guy's funny. He's funny. And that happens two other times in the movie where he says something really obvious. I mean, it's like the sitcom cliche of like something happens, somebody drops a dish and somebody goes, good luck with that. Like some very generic line that is not funny in any way. And some character goes, he's funny. This guy's funny. Are you? Were, did you pick up on that at all? Yes. Yeah, no, I totally did. Oh, well, I acknowledge that he just didn't have to try very hard to be admired. Right. I was like, well, that's typical. Right. <laughs> and it actually... I will say, though, like, right after that, when he, like, calls her for the first time, and he's super nervous, mm-hmm. and he hangs up on her, Yeah. and then he calls her back, and she asks him, she's like, did you just, did you just call? And he admits that he did. She goes, did we lose the connection? did you hang up? And he admits that he did and that he's so nervous. It's what it's one of my favorite movies in the film because it's just so honest and lovely, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he just shows up authentically in that moment and it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm really nervous, but I really like, want to have dinner. And she's like, yes, I love it. So yeah. good. But yeah, no, I did notice that moment in line and also I just thought the, that moment with the, um, the, the friend who's gay who's like, 
right. clearly very into him was a little awkward too. Right. Well, that that again is kind of what I was implying earlier. I feel like because there are several scenes with gay characters and they're just not treated as human beings or treated as tropes. And, you know, like they really are cliches. They're like, you know, the 2005 version of what being gay was. So actually, that's another what if that scene, if the one that I'm talking about, if it had just been that one time, the like he's funny thing, that's fine. But they do it three times. Because there's another scene where Uma Thurman and her friend are talking and she shares some story and he goes, he's funny. He's a funny guy. And then it happens with the supermodel chick that he sleeps with, which of course is another whole thing of here's this supermodel that of course just wants to fuck him. Why wouldn't she? I know. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, some of it's not very believable. There's also a very, very bad joke that I don't think landed then, definitely doesn't land now when she's listening to the Coltrane music. Yeah. I'm not even going to repeat it. I know. I mean, I'm just like, oh. Yep. Oh. Sticks out. Oh, my. Sticks out badly. It sticks out real bad. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's definitely there's definitely some big misses. I will say that scene where he calls her is a highlight. You know who I absolutely love, who I think actually steals the entire film, is the doorman. Ah, yeah. I love him. I want to know his name. <laughs> I want to know what he does in his free time. I love that. Like that actor brought so much to a very small part, and. Uh, I, I loved it. His name is, uh, I hope I'm saying it right, Ado Asando. Oh, you know what? I, he's got it. I recognize him. Yes, I did too. And I couldn't remember from what. And it was from the, we talked about this, I think, the last time that we recorded because I had just watched that Netflix series with Hilary Swank called Away, the Outer Space one. And he's one of the other yeah. leads in that. He's been in a lot of stuff. He has... Uh, 57 credits on IMDb. He's been in a lot of big stuff, actually. He's been in some of the yeah. X-Men movies. He's been in the Jason Bourne movies, Girls, Madam Secretary, a lot of stuff. Good Wife, um, Django Unchained. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. So, yeah, good job. Yeah. Good job, Otto. Yeah, he's good. I mean, again, everybody in this movie is pretty good. How did you feel about um, Uma Thurman in this? Uh, I like her. Yeah, I mean, I thought she was great. I'm not sure what was happening in the costume department. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I mean, I, to to everybody's credit, it was like 2000, what, 2005? 2005, 2005, yeah. Well, that's when yeah. it came out, so it would have been so, filmed in 04, I'm sure. But Yeah, there were just a lot of sheer ruffles. Just a lot. Like, ruffles and sheer. <laughs> I mean, I've never worn something sheer and ruffled in my life. So, um, but I thought, I thought she was great. It was nice to see her again. I haven't seen her in something in a while. Right. And I just, I, you know what? I just recently watched the trailer for Dangerous Liaisons, um, randomly. Yeah. I, I, I was re, I was revisiting, I've started doing this. This is a little bit of a segue, but like. There are there are just some actors that bring me a lot of joy. I think they're good people in real life. Like Keanu Reeves is one of them, and I will go down every once in a while when I'm like super down. I'll go down like a Keanu Reeves like rabbit hole and like revisit 
<laughs> all the movies that like have nostalgia because he's actually a really good person in real life too and like his good juju kind of comes across in his films yeah <laughs> anyways i was watching the trailer for dangerous liaisons and i was like wow this is a blast from the past it's been i have got to revisit this one yeah yeah that would be fun to revisit that one it's been a while since i've watched that one too yeah, and she's very good in that. Glenn Close is very good. Malkovich. Malkovich is the one in that one that's sort of like, I don't know what to make of you, sir, but, you know, you're John Malkovich and <laughs> you do your thing. So intense. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite scenes in this movie? Uh, definitely the one where he calls her. Um, I do love the scene in the elevator after they've had their sort of big fight and he apologizes to her mm, okay. when the doorman holds the elevator the for her. Um, in terms of Meryl scenes, oh God, the scene where she figures it out yes, and has to keep a lid on it is yes. so good. Like the, just, the, just the bottled distress yep. is so palpable. Yeah. That's my, it's that's what stuff. I was going to say too. That's my favorite scene of, of Meryl easily in this movie. She does great eye acting yeah. in that one. The eyes give you every bit of information. I will say that I was, I didn't think of it in the moment. It was a couple scenes later that I was, you know, it's a a romantic comedy, so we're not, you know, there's some believability issues kind of throughout it. But it is New York City. And, you know, what the information that convinces her that she's dating her son, I guess she does say the street. That's a little specific. I can kind of see it at that point. But what starts getting her kind of wheels turning is literally just the fact that he's 27 years old and that he's an artist. And from there, she starts getting suspicious. I'm sorry, there's a lot of 27-year-olds. Oh, no. It's when she reveals that he's actually 23. She thinks he's 27. Oh, that's right. So she doesn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she finds out he's 23 and an artist. I mean, I, I, mean, I kind of get it. That's what I meant. suspicious, too. And then you get the street number... But that's the thing is, yeah, the street is specific enough that, yeah, okay, now we're all on the same page. We get it. But, like, how, there are a lot of 23-year-old artists in New York City. I'm not so sure that totally. that my mind would have and immediately been, like... I'm sure there's plenty named David. Right. Right. So, there is some of that. But, again, I didn't think of it right in that scene. But a couple scenes later, I was like, now, how did we really come to this conclusion that, she, you know, <laughs> until she sees them together i don't know that she really needs to i actually would have loved for there to be a little bit more of that physical i think it could have been i think we could have used one more scene of the like meryl knows but she doesn't want them to know side of things it you know there was enough material there that we could have mined that maybe if there had been one more we would have said that was more than we needed i don't know but it could have as as the film sits i think we could have seen a little bit more of that worry but yeah i'm with you the scene where she is kind of putting it together is is meryl's best in the in the film um agreed i this movie was originally rated r and on appeal it was uh brought down to pg-13 which to me was interesting there are some like you know body part descriptions and things like that throughout the movie but you know nothing that would warrant an r rating that just was surprising to me that it was at one point going to be an r-rated film yeah, that is really, it definitely would not be now. It wouldn't even be a question. Yeah. Because there's no real, like, there's no real excessive cursing or anything in this one either. So it's not no, like. No, there's no nudity. There's right. no. Yeah. I mean, there are intimate scenes, but they are, like, 
super tame. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's yeah. very little that is like, you know, whatever. Um, okay. So the budget for this film was $22 million, which is about what it made here in the U S it made about 23 million. Um, box office worldwide was about 68 million. So it was a success. Um, uh, you know, a mild yeah. success. It didn't make a ton of money, but certainly didn't lose anything either. Um, it currently has a 6.2 rating on IMDb, which the only other Merrill movie, uh, that has a 6.2 is one that we have not yet done, which is Lions for Lambs. So it's definitely towards the bottom. There are um, a couple movies that I would put above it that are rated actually lower on IMDb or Let Them All Talk, The Prom, Into the Woods, um, even Ricky and the Flash I would probably put above this. So there are, you know, it, where it sits is kind of questionable, but I think the low rating for those other movies is more the questionable thing if we're really being honest. Let's see if I can figure out the uh, Rotten Tomatoes thing here. It is a 50%. It is an even 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. So dead center. So definitely rotten. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Interesting. Yeah. Have you ranked this by chance? I haven't. I haven't haven't looked at my rankings in months back. (laughs) I haven't either. Um, I think it'll probably be... I actually really quite like her performance, so it may be kind of more towards the middle to middle bottom in the performance in terms of the film. It'll probably be a little bit lower, but certainly not at the bottom either. It's better than a lot of, you know, it'll be in the top 25 probably, but maybe not, you know. Oh, I usually read a one-star review, except I'm not prepared to do that here. The one-star reviews for this particular one actually weren't, I didn't find to be that funny you know a lot of them were just sort of like yeah i kind of agree with some of this (laughs) um i'm just going to read the first one here which is um it's quite long so i may not read all of this but this comes from nby no nbwys817 and it came out in in 2006 this review came out it's called old hat prejudiced and lacking a constructive message all right, and it starts, failing to see anything remotely comical about this movie, I found it just rattled out old stereotypes about age and race without confronting these issues in any kind of depth. What was particularly disappointing is to see again that Hollywood still fails to confront the fact that meaningful, long-term relationships exist between partners in which the woman is significantly older than the man, including a number of theatrical pairings. Not only was the relationship portrayed as utterly shallow, but there was no attempt whatsoever to introduce any discussion of how the various obstacles the couple faced could be overcome. Um, and then it goes on and talks about the the unanswered whys that exist in this movie and the things that could have been done to help it. So again, I don't really disagree with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't disagree with that either. There are, um, basically, kind of reading through this, there are a lot of people who... Um, feel like it's just not funny for a comedy. It was billed as a comedy and it's just like not particularly... I also kind of agree with that. Like in terms of it's an interesting movie to watch and again, I don't dislike this movie but it's not like I didn't laugh that much during this movie. No, I didn't really either. Yeah. And maybe because I'm not... I think too, like I'm not a mom. And that first... Like that, that first like... And really, that the first part of the film is really about Mer- Meryl's character right. and like the discovery about her son and the angst she feels, and then it switches to be like 
a romantic comedy about the couple. So there's like a, there's a shift. Right. Right. For sure. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't laugh very hard. (laughs) But it's not that I just, one of the very first scenes of the film is that friend throwing a pie in some girl's face. And it was just so offensive that I had trouble getting past it. (laughs) Yeah. And then to make it kind of a running motif. I mean, honestly, if you cut that friend out of the character, or if you cut the friend, the dumbass friend out of this movie, it's a lot better movie. Totally. He didn't really serve any He's purpose. He's unnecessary. Right. No. And just sort of a reminder of that old bro code. Exactly. Saying yeah. Yeah. That and, nobody needs reminding us. And like you say, they actually, there are opportunities for, like, it would have been cool to see the character say, this is not you know, to have him step up to his friend and say, this is not acceptable behavior. He does, at the end of the, at the end of the movie, he does kind of, he has some line because he comes back and and he has pie in his face. So it's obvious somebody has done this to him. And he says something like, well, it's learn your lesson day or something. So it kind of implies that like he's learned because it happened to him. So all of a sudden he cares about it. Um, You know, that it's not fun when this happens. And so maybe he, shouldn't we're kind of left with this idea that maybe he won't be doing this anymore or at least that's the hope i think um so i guess that's good but i just don't i think there was a way to like inject comedy without it being you know a violent and intrusive act right yeah i'm there with you yeah (laughs) well shall we move on to our other segments yeah let's do it uh, would you like to do Six Degrees or movies we wish Meryl was in? Let's do Six Degrees first. Okay, our person. It's been a while. And you were on top of it and you went and figured out who it was so I that did. we didn't have to tell people again yes. that we forgot. I listened to our. I listened to part of our, our last episode to kind of catch up on what we had been talking about at that point in time. And um, our Six Degrees person was Albert Finney. So does anything come to mind for Albert Finney? Well, I think the obvious one, Aaron Brockovich. Right. With Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep in August Osage County. She done any other movies with Meryl? Oh, no. I think so, right? Is no. That it? Yeah. But Albert Finney. That was a connection. Yeah. Albert Finney and Julia Roberts, sorry to interrupt, were also in another movie together. What? It was a cameo, really, on Albert Finney's, but he plays. Um, George, I think it's George Clooney's father in Ocean's 12, or maybe it was Matt Damon's father. I forget. He played, it's a little cameo that he plays in Ocean's 12. Nice. Yeah. So there are a couple connections in that one because Julia Roberts, again, Matt Damon was in the Stuck on You movie um, that Meryl has a cameo in. There's there's at least one other. George Clooney, they each did voices in the Fantastic Mr. Fox. So there's other stuff there, but... Did you have any other oh. ones before I go off on? No, just that one. I had those two. I have a few other ones. I can just run through these quickly. Um, yeah, these yeah. are the ones I thought of. Uh, Albert Finney is also in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is in Doubt with Meryl. He was in uh, nice. Born Ultimatum, one of the later Born ones. He's oh, at, yeah. He was in a couple of the Born ones, but one of them is the one with Matt Damon, who we talked about. But David Strathairn is also in that movie, and he was in River Wild with Meryl. Um, he was in Big Fish, the... Uh, Tim Burton? Tim Burton, yeah. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter is in that movie. She was in... Uh, what was the one with Carrie Mulligan? We just did it not that long ago. 
Oh, Suffragette. Suffragette, yes. Suffragette. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that one. Because I remembered that he was in Big Fish, but I I was like, I have just a terrible, like, I can tell you what movies actors are in, but then if I have to, like, kind of, I'm really bad at this game. <laughs> it's tough. This is like my Rain Man comes out when I do this. <laughs> I, I love this kind of thing. This is the sort of thing that, like, if there was a, a Jeopardy-like game where I could do this, I would win that game. I would be the Ken Jennings of that game, I think. Yeah, you would, and I'd be the whole time with my hand over my buzzer going, <laughs> uh... Wait, I know this one. I know this one, and it's on the tip of your tongue. I've got three more, and I actually had to stop myself, because okay. once I got to eight, I was like, we don't need to do this many. But, um... He was in a movie called Simpatico that came out in the late 90s with Sharon Stone and Jeff Bridges and Nick Nolte. Um, and Jeff Bridges is the connection there. Although, actually, Sharon Stone is too. And I would like, if we have time, I know you're on a time crunch, but I want to talk about Sharon Stone for a second. Or we can save it for the next yeah. episode. No, let's talk about Sharon. I'm going to do two more and then we'll do the Sharon Stone thing. So, uh, he was in, Albert Finney was in a movie with Diane Keaton called Shoot the Moon in the early 80s, which I specifically watched when we did our Diane Keaton episode, which is why I'm familiar with that movie. It was very small. I would never have seen it otherwise. And then the last one is a classic. It's the Murder on the Orient Express, the original one, um, which had a just extraordinary, amazing cast. But one of them was Vanessa Redgrave, who was in uh, Evening, which was the most recent movie that we have done on this podcast before oh, nice. this one. Um, yeah, okay, so the Sharon Stone thing, do you know what I'm talking about before I dive in, when I say the Sharon Stone no. thing? So no, the only thing I saw about Sharon Stone recently was her and Hannah Waddingham from, from Ted Lasso. They met on a red carpet, and it was super cute. That's the uh-huh. only thing I've seen about Sharon Stone lately, so do tell. So Sharon Stone put out a, a memoir... All, uh, probably about oh. a, probably about a year ago or close to it anyway, and um, I have listened to it. I listened to the audible version of it, and um, it got interesting reviews because of a comment she made about Meryl Streep in the movie, which I will I will or sorry in her book, which I will read. I have it in front of me. Um, but oh, really? our yes our yes our friend Michael Schulman, friend of the podcast interviewed Sharon Stone and I, you know, he was talking, it was over Zoom because it was in the COVID days, but he talked about it, the experience of interviewing her. So anyway, in, in the book, um, she says a couple passing things about Meryl Streep, nothing too inflammatory and just kind of like not, not particularly interesting either way. But she was asked when she was doing press about the comment and this is what she said and it went viral kind of really right away. So this is the exact quote. The business was set up so that we should all envy and admire admire Meryl because only Meryl got to be the good one and everyone should compete against Meryl. I think Meryl is an amazingly wonderful woman and actress. But in my opinion, quite frankly, there are other actresses equally as talented as Meryl Streep. The whole Meryl Streep iconography is part of what Hollywood does to women. Viola Davis is every bit the actress Meryl Streep is. Emma Thompson, Judy Davis, Olivia Colman, Kate Winslet for fuck's sake. But you say Meryl and everybody falls on the floor. I'm a much better villain than Meryl, and I'm sure she'd say so. Meryl was not going to be good in Basic Instinct or in Casino. That's the end of the quote. So she kind of went off on Meryl in this way of like, okay... 
Some yeah. of what you're saying is kind of true. Like, yes, I agree. Viola Davis, all those, all those women are extraordinary actresses. But I don't know. I mean, there's some truth in what she's saying. Do you, do you feel like it was more of a commentary on the system, though, than on Meryl Streep? I think because that's... Because I think... Yeah, go ahead. That's how I... I mean, that's how I interpret what she's saying is that... Um, and it, it comes out as being sort of, you know, insulting to, 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 to Meryl or like somehow denigrating her. Right. But I don't... I don't think that's actually what she's saying. What she's saying is... I, I do think Hollywood is quite good at doing that to actresses. Right. Setting them up in such a way where you're competing with one another. But see, I agree with... The sense of scarcity. Right. I agree with all of that, and that's mostly how I read it, too. But there's something about, like, her comment just talks... It it makes it sound... I wish there was a way to make that comment that also didn't make it sound competitive and put pointing... That's true. That's the thing, is, like, she's making the point, but kind of by, like... She didn't deserve the role she had. Right, right. Um, Yeah. There's there's a way to say what she was trying to say without it being negative about Meryl totally. Streep, essentially. And I think that's what a lot of people were trying to say. And so she had to clarify. She put out a tweet the next day. This was from June 23rd of this year. She wrote, just to be clear, Meryl Streep is one of the greatest actors of all times, just not to the exclusion of others. Great. Like, that's perfectly clear. And they had a scene together. I think one of the things that kind of set this question off now that I'm thinking of it is that the um, interviewer of that particular interview said, well, you finally got to work with Meryl in uh, the laundromat. They had that one short scene together where Sharon Stone was like the real estate person. And Sharon Stone took offense at the phrasing of that because she said, now I noticed you didn't say Meryl Streep finally got to work with Sharon Stone. It was Sharon Stone finally got to work with Meryl Streep, which there's some ego in that, but there's also some, I mean, Sharon Stone's been around a while. She's a great actress. I actually, because of all this and and listening to her audiobook, I went back and and rewatched Basic Instinct, mostly because I hadn't seen it in 20 years, at least. Um, I don't like the idea that Sharon Stone is like, well, she wasn't going to be any good in that. She was never up for roles like that. And I think she would tell you that like, there was a lot of, uh, complication about how she felt about that is what my assumption is you know like i think she wasn't offered roles like that which is a whole other can of worms you know yeah yeah i think that's where her comments really veer when she starts talking about meryl streep not playing a good villain right my god did she see a devil wears Prada? right <laughs> right and it's she, no joke a manchurian candidate she's done it before and she's fantastic at that I, I get that Sharon Stone feels like she kind of owns that because for a while she was that, the like quirky, dangerous, femme fatale thing. She was that and she was very good yeah. at that. But, you know, saying that somebody else can't do that when they've literally been blocked from attempting that is kind of a strange position to put yourself in, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Sharon Stone... It's not, it's not the best look. Right. Sharon Stone, her book in general is kind of like this. It's filled with these kind of... I, I find myself... Again, I, I thought her book was great. It was really interesting. It was always... She's very quirky and she's... You know, she's admittedly a little bit cuckoo sometimes, but it's a very interesting story that she tells and I didn't realize how severe some of her, like, brain trauma um, 
had been like she really almost died a couple times within the last decade or so. Oh, um, oh wow! Yeah, she had like really bad. I didn't know. Yeah, she had a ba- like a not. I think it was a brain aneurysm, but she really did almost die at least once, if not twice, wow. from it. You know, so it's. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting uh, stance for her to take. I guess we can leave it there, probably. But who knew? Yeah. Who knew that all that was just hanging in there? And in class, yeah. in classic Meryl fashion, she did not respond to it in any way, shape, or form. Which is like, yeah, that, that's this. That's the smart move. I mean, listen, she's gonna get targeted. I mean, Sharon Stone's targeted her. I'm not Sharon Stone. Obviously, we're talking about Sharon Stone. Um, Susan Sarandon. Right. Um, yeah. Not the first, won't be the last. Right. Um, oh, you know what? We didn't say who our next Six Degrees person was, mostly because we haven't picked one. Do you have anybody in mind, by chance? How about, I'm looking Regina at... Regina King. Regina King. There we go. That's a good one. Have we done Regina King? I don't think so. I don't think we have. I don't think so. It's a good one. We'll we'll do that one and see how that feels. Do you have a movie awesome. you wish Meryl was in? I'm trying to think of one of the ones I watched recently. No. <laughs> Movies I wish Meryl was in. I don't know. Everything? I wish she was in everything. So. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? I'm going to go with one I haven't seen yet, but based on the trailer, uh, the new Macbeth with uh, Denzel Washington. Ooh, good one. I mean, it just looks... I mean, can't you see the two of them going... I mean, it's the same thing with Francis McDormand, of course, but, like, can't you see the two of them going toe-to-toe in Shakespeare? Like, come on. Yeah, no, it would be epic. Unbelievable. I'm very excited to see that. It's gonna be... It's gonna be epic with Francis McDormand, too. Hell, she may win her fourth Oscar for it, who knows, but, like, it's just... I know, right? It's the the best actress race this year is bonkers. Yep. Yep. I actually it's think supporting really actress and and actress both are gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. And again, a lot of that stuff hasn't even come out yet. We're just kind of at that point where we're starting to get into it. So there's a lot of places. I think Kristen Stewart is a front runner right now, but Jessica Chastain's in there too. There's a lot of interesting stuff yet to come. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm very excited. I just feel like this is a, I feel like we haven't had this good of an Oscar season in decades. <laughs> it's been years since I've been enthusiastic about it. So yeah, I'm actually looking forward to watching. Yeah. And I think part of it is the like delay from COVID stuff because they delayed some of this stuff. So it's like all of it's just kind of ready to go. And I don't know. It's just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be it'll be quite a year. Although I heard they're not televising the Golden Globes this year. Did you hear that? Yeah, which, um, which I is did. Odd. Well, they had. I mean, they had that. Didn't people like boycott them? I mean, typically there's always they been don't have something. Any, but... They don't have any members of color. Right. 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 Am I remembering correctly? Sorry, guys. It's been a second. Yeah. No, I think Oof. that's right. But I mean, not up to speed. The inclusivity thing is one of those things where, like, if they approached it from another way and tried to actually fix the problem, then maybe they could celebrate it instead of like you make it just. I know. Appear. But whatever, we have a different. It's infuriating. 
I don't know what their stance. True, I mean they they seem to say all the right things at the Golden Globes last year of of attempting to like rectify the problem and acknowledging that there was a problem. It's just the follow through has been maybe not up to snuff, and so this is their way out of it. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, totally. Well, good to be back, Meryl. Season three is off to a roaring start with Prime. Yes, right. What is our next movie that we're gonna do? We're gonna keep the hits coming. The top of <laughs> top of the list, Merrill Mountain <laughs> movies coming with. <laughs> oh, the next one's a real doozy. Um, Dancing at Lunasa. Yeah, um, it's a good film. It's just nobody has heard. Nobody has seen. <laughs> it's so obscure, but. Yeah, it's also it's very. I mean, it's very sad. Yeah, yeah, it's based on a stage play. So I I love this particular one, but uh, you know. Oh yeah, I remember going out of my way because I went to a boarding high school. I went out of my way to get to a movie theater to see this movie. Yeah, so we'll have good. stuff to talk about. Yeah, so for sure. Indeed. Well, uh, good to be back, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes. Uh, bye, everybody. That's all. <laughs>